it's a region also that, you know, just from a standpoint of what Patagonia stands for, the open space and the places we want to play and what people aspire to, yeah. the catalog is very aspirational, right? And so um, to be in that space and operate in that space is really cool. Um, and there definitely is a lot of people looking at me and being like, oh, hey, that, that guy actually lives in the mountains. He like goes ski touring before work. This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana. This podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around the great state of Montana. This show is proudly presented by First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications. All right, welcome back. Thanks for tuning in this week. Uh, before we get into today's episode, I want to just call out attention to some really exciting guests we have coming up over the next several weeks Pulitzer Prize-winning New York Times columnist and journalist Maureen Dowd. She was on campus a couple weeks ago, and we caught some of her time. I got the chance to speak with Amy Martin, the creator, producer, and host of The Threshold Podcast. The Threshold Podcast is amazing. We have an interview with Steve Albini, the legendary sort of sound engineer uh, and native Missoulian. And then just this week, I caught up with Cheryl Strayed, a best-selling author of Wild and a couple other amazing books. She was here on campus to give the Presidential Lecture Series talk, and it was amazing, and we had a fantastic conversation. So super excited to bring those to you. And along those lines, I'd love to ask for your help. We need to grow this audience. We want to get this content out to as many people as we can, and the way you can help us is to rate, review, and share the show. Tell your friends about it. Help us spread the word. Um, that's how I learned about podcasts. Other podcasts I wanted to listen to is, is people recommending them to me. So if you could do that, if you're so willing, we'd really appreciate it. And thank you. Okay, so enough of that shameless self-promotion stuff. But um, hey, you got to do it in this business. So we'll move on to today's guest, a good friend and colleague, Alan Adams. Alan Adams is the regional sales rep for Patagonia. And as many of you know, you know, I sort of have a long relationship with Patagonia, I think almost about 15 years now. It started as a sponsored runner for many years, and, and in the last few years, I've transitioned more into field testing, product development, and a little bit of consulting work. And it's just been a fantastic relationship. It's a company I respect deeply, uh, not only for their fantastic product, but also for their political stances. And I can't get too in the weeds of my own politics on this program, but what I can do is, is call your attention to some things Patagonia is doing and others are doing to encourage voting. You know, we got this midterm election coming up very soon, and it's important that all of you get out there and vote, okay? Take that opportunity to do so. If you need information on how to vote, check out BallotReady.org. Go to Vote.org to register. And pay attention to Patagonia's Midterms Matter campaign. You'll see it on their social feeds. You'll see it at their retailers. And that's something we get into in the conversation with Alan today. Alan's in this unique place with Patagonia in, in the sense that he's on the front lines of some of their political activism. And he has to interface with retailers and dealers and parties that maybe don't share the same value set that Patagonia, or maybe they're not quite so uh, vocal about their politics, you know, because they're interfacing with customers on a daily basis and their retail is under a lot of pressure. We talk about that. We talk about uh, one of our premier, one of 
the premier local retailers, and that's the Trailhead here in Missoula. And they're doing some amazing things. Check out their window display if you can over the next couple of weeks. Anyway, super fun conversation with Alan. I deeply respect what he's doing. I respect what Patagonia is doing. And it's really super fun to explore all that and bring it to you today. All right, so we're here today with Alan Adams. Alan, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. This is kind of another one of those like chance occurrences that I absolutely love with this podcast where you get somebody awesome coming through town and you can grab uh, a little bit of their time. So Alan's the rep for Patagonia in this region, and you just recently completed a sales meeting on your way to points unknown and a cool vacation in the van and uh, just grabbed you for a little bit. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, I'm excited to be here and it was really worked out well to be driving through and make this happen. So. Yeah, that's a bit of a homecoming in the sense that you've come and spoken in our classes and been really generous with your time and contributing to what we're trying to do here at the College of Business. Yeah, yeah, Jackie uh, roped me in one day at, what's uh, Kiefer's studio? Oh, Momentum. Momentum. Yeah, uh, yeah, said, another hey. friend of the pod. Yeah, and uh, Kiefer's like, you should get Alan to teach some classes. So that has been really fun to be involved in some of the marketing classes, and the students really seem pretty excited about Patagonia in general and pretty fired up too. Yeah, that's often a, that. a, a, a um, you know, question I get from students is, oh, you're affiliated with Patagonia? I want to work there. How do I work there? And it's, yeah. it's like, eh, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough place to get in. It takes a while. It takes a while. <laughs> it took me a while. <laughs> and so maybe we can dig into that a little bit. I mean, we, we share a little history. Both grew up in New Hampshire. Uh, you went to college out there, University of Vermont, right? Yep. And then... Tell us all about it. Some time as a professional cyclist. Tell us about your path that kind of led you into the uh, into, into the sales world. Yeah. So actually, I started school. I went to school for two years in Boston. Okay. Um, and I was a, you know grew up in northern New Hampshire in the White Mountains. Yeah. Playing in the mountains, like you know, skiing, running, all those things, and um, went to the city. And I was having a hard time with being in the city. Yeah. But I had a free ride to school and I was like I should do this even though I don't necessarily want to um and I ended up trying to find my people I ended up wandering in the Patagonia store on Newberry Street okay that early and got a job there on the sales floor um and I was instantly just blown away by the company and I mean I knew about the history of the company I knew a lot about it but it didn't really resonate it was like you know just a as a consumer right Mm -hmm. and then um yeah worked there a little bit part-time I was in school and then really the environmental focus of the company got my head spinning on instead of I was in business school at yep. Northeastern and uh, it's got me thinking, man, I really want to do like an environmental focus to this. And that wasn't something that Northeastern offered. And I was also not happy being in the city. So I transferred to university of Vermont and um, did their environmental business sort of program with the intention of like getting out and going to back to like environmental law school. Yeah. And so at that point, I mean, we're talking what, like late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah. It's like 2000. Yeah. yeah and so at that point, you know, environmental sustainability and business is starting to emerge a bit on college campuses as something you can actually study. Yeah. So it sounds like that, the sort that sort of programming was emerging at, at Vermont. Yeah. It was actually a really big, I mean, we had a lot of local companies. We had seven generation, Ben and Jerry's, like we had, you know, a lot of local things to draw from yeah um, there's a lot of cool progressive things going on in burlington it's a, obviously a pretty hip town and, mm-hmm. um yeah it's, it's got a lot, lot of similarities it's a to lot Missoula. like Missoula, <laughs> exactly actually, yeah um and i just loved it i was like that was my element and i was really excited there and um i worked part-time at a ski shop i mean uh-huh. i've always had to sort of work my parents are helpful but you know medium level helpful sure I, mean, I had to like sort of fund some of my own stuff and um i wasn't just you know given a blank ticket 
Um, so I worked through college to pay rent and buy groceries and stuff. Um, so yeah, I worked at a ski shop and then I think randomly one day I was leaving to go grab a special order at was it Garmont or K2 or I think Rosignol or one of those and just started talking to a customer service lady about, you know, what are you going to do after college? I okay. Like, I sort of want to, these guys come in the shop and they talk about their brand and they give us a t-shirt and we all high five and it's sure. cool. And these reps are coming yeah. in. Yeah. And I, you know, specifically was really fond of the Patagonia rep because I'd worked at the store there and hadn't met him and it's like, man, that'd be really cool. Same um, person that you got to know at the Newberry Street store was the rep you interacted with? Up in- yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Great. Because um, you covered Star all in New England. And, yeah. Um, and so she said, well, you know, I know how these our reps in Seattle are looking for a entry-level grunt. And I'm like, that's great. Okay. And uh, the girlfriend I was dating at the time had a couple close friends that had lived out there in Seattle. And she's like, yeah, let's go. Let's go. Let's yeah, go live in Seattle. Check it out. Let's go check a city. I'm like, well, I've done Boston. I'm not a huge fan of a city. But, you know, there was like, for me, this aura of like mystique around Seattle. Yeah, yeah. At that time in particular. The music scene. Like yep. I was like, I'm a grunge fan, uh, like it or not, you know. Uh, but I was at the time and still am. And there's, that, there's a lot of mystique around Seattle. And it was sure. sort of like a cool yep. vibe. And, and then, like, you know, as it. far as like as cities go, you're you're close to the mountains. Like you've yeah. got access there. Yeah, we've both lived there. And yeah, it's a great city. I mm-hmm. mean, uh, um, and so I moved out there, worked as a basically grunt level rep for like an agency setting where we had a bunch of brands. And you're sort of scattered. You have like five or six brands. Yep. and. You know, I was driving all over the, man, I was driving 40, 50,000 miles a year, you know, like just covering all these events. Wow. And, yeah. Um, also, we got really into cycling then because it was just like, that was a cool thing in Seattle. And it was also the outdoorsy thing you could do from your door, which yeah. for me was important growing up in New Hampshire and, you know, Vermont. It's like driving somewhere to recreate felt weird. Yeah, it, it, it um, doesn't quite play. So at that yeah. point, are you. You know, so you're working as a grunt for this agency, kind of representing a bunch of different brands. Are you kind of starting to feel like you like this sales thing, or, or like, I mean, it's it's sort of your first job, job. But what's your what's your feeling about the task of selling? Yeah, I mean, at that point, and still even to this day, be careful who hears this. Well, everyone at Patagonia probably, but uh, I never really thought I was gonna be a sales guy. Yeah, okay. And I I still, in a way, I feel like I'm a sales. We actually had this meeting a couple of days back, a consultant, yeah. more than a salesperson. Um, I guess I've been fortunate enough to work with brands that are have enough momentum or strength that they have value to the shops. And it's more um, facilitating that value versus necessarily yeah. like selling something. Uh-huh. Um, and maybe it's also just partly it's around things that I've been passionate about, so it doesn't feel like I'm selling something. Um, but yeah, that, I think... About three years into that role, I realized, okay, I'm, I'm selling something. And I really do, went through this like, sort of crisis mode of like, or my birthday for some reason of like, oh, I should go back and go to law school now. Okay. I was, oh, yeah, because that had been I on debated sort of the radar screen for Vermont a while. law school and be like an environmental business consultant or mm-hmm. something. But then um, I was approached by the, um, the rep for Black Diamond at the time. It was vacating his position. He had to replace himself. And... Uh, and that was just like this really good opportunity. So yeah. I was like, oh. I mean, that's a, that's one of those big anchor brands for a It rep. was. It was a really good, and it was a company job, so you're just focused on that brand. Mm-hmm. And I was really excited about that. And so I was like, oh, well, I'll just do that for a couple of years, and then I'll go to law school. Sure. So, kicking the can down the road. <laughs> um, and, it, yeah, so I went to work for Black Diamond, and uh, six and a half years later, I was still there, so I, I didn't go to law school. 
Um, and so at that point, did you move to Salt Lake or were you re- you know, covering the Seattle market or, you know, because you were covering this area for a while yeah, with so, Black Diamond. So my first role, I was a sales rep for an agency that covered all of the, what they would call the PNW. So Montana, Idaho, Washington, yep. Oregon, Alaska. And I was assigned Montana, Idaho and like Spokane. Yep. And I moved to Bozeman about two years into that role. So I didn't live in Seattle at that point. Um, and when I moved to Bozeman, uh, then the opportunity came with Black Diamond. I was, oddly, it was a weird region I was covering. I was covering Montana, Washington, British Columbia, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba. That's a lot of space yeah. in that territory. Um, and it was Not as many people as there is yeah. space. I was with a team of guys. Um, and in all, we covered the Pacific Northwest plus basically Western Canada. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was living in Bozeman, but they wanted a bigger presence in Seattle because REI is there and Evo sure. in there, is there. So... Um, I ended up um, sort of like keeping an apartment or like a second, like part-time, basically like a house, a room in a house in Seattle. And I would go back and forth a lot. Um, So I was living in Bozeman, but honestly spending a lot of time in in Seattle. Um, But I didn't have to go to live in Salt Lake. I just would spend time down there for company meetings. I got to know this Salt Lake well because you're there, you know, three or four times a year for a meeting. But I was living in Bozeman. So. so when you say, but it's, it was a company job in the sense you were a Black Diamond employee. You're yep. not a contract. I wasn't contract yeah, anymore. Yeah. So it was cool. It was like, there's that security of a full yeah, in health insurance and right. you know, all those real. things that, you know, when you're a 27 year old kid, I really, appeal, or 26, or, it seemed to, you know, it was all, and it was a nice salary. And for sure, you know, moving from like feeling stressed out to financially stable and working for a really good brand that's well-respected. Right. In so, an industry you're passionate about. I mean, you're feeling like you're, yeah, you arrived it. in a way. Yeah, I mean, it was like at the time I couldn't have felt, you know, any more, uh, yeah, any more on top of the world. Right. Um, so it was, yeah, it was an awesome situation. Uh, I was the ski rep, so I was selling specifically the ski side mm-hmm. of the equation. And then the summers was a pretty lighter, a lighter schedule. I was like selling trekking poles and headlamps and sure. pretty light. So and I was racing your bike. I was racing my bike in the summers and just loving that. And yeah. it was a great schedule, um, but it was a lot of travel and also, you know, living in sort of like living in Bozeman, but actually being in Seattle and running around so much, it was hard to, you know, it, it creates dynamics of hard for friendships and relationships. And yep. I had some, <laughs> that created some problems, but you know, those are behind me. But uh, so yeah, it was just an interesting role. Yeah. Sure. And so you do that for six years and uh, yeah, tell us about how the, the transition to Patagonia came about. Yeah. So um, it was sort of an interesting one. So with Black Diamond, there's some time, they were going transition from a public to a or private to a, a public company, right? And, and we'll, so, we'll talk about that more in a bit. Yeah, yeah we'll just d- dive into that later um, or at some point. But um, it, it, they gave us some opportunities to, you know, they knew people weren't going to be as amenable to that. Sure. And they, so there was some discussions of, well, if you want to do something else, like no harm, no foul. We understand we're changing structures, um, and while that's spinning, um, there was a well retailer here in town. Uh, Todd that owns the trailhead. So yep. he gave me a phone call and said, Hey, like rumor has it Patagonia is looking for mm-hmm. rep for this zone. And like, you know, my eyes just like, yeah. my brain lit ding, on ding, fire. Ding, ding, ding. And like literally that day, I'm just calling everyone I know that's the company. <laughs> the guy that had managed the store over down in Boston is like now the global or not global, but like wholesale sales manager. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm like, okay, like I'm reaching out to everyone. I'm like, what can I do to get this job? Activate this is the like, network. this is my dream. Like this is the next, you know, the, the next stepping stone to like, I'm at the top of, for me, what my career. And, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, as outdoor repping jobs go, like that's, that's the one. Yeah. 
Right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I just put, you know, just all all systems go on trying to make that happen. And it was a lengthy, very lengthy application process. I mean, I think they had well over 200 applicants. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think fortunately I had uh, just based on connections and networking was, you know, up there in the pile of candidates. But by no means is it like a guarantee or, I mean, sure. there's a lot of qualified people applying. Yeah. Um, and they tend to hire from within. Um, so I knew it was going to be like a, you know, it wasn't going to be an easy thing per se. So, but yeah, it worked out. Yeah, it worked uh, out. It started, yeah, like the conversation started in October and I think I wasn't actually like signing some paperwork until April or May. And so what's this, like four years ago about? This was four, it would have been four years exactly. My four-year anniversary was back in April. Okay. So I yeah. guess it would have been, yeah, four and a half years now. Yeah, right on. It feels like long, longer, but yeah, no, it's, uh, Yeah. So. You're covering Montana, Wyoming, Alaska, <laughs> yeah, and northern uh, sections of Idaho. Yeah, so there's some just Idaho. overlap of everything but Sun Valley. Is that kind I of? I don't cover Sun Valley <laughs> or Boise or McCall, but sure. um, like Driggs, um, the Tetons area, and then northern Idaho. So yeah, 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 it's an interesting territory. It's a, it's got a lot of subtleties and beautiful. You know, I have, I joke that I have like the the best region in terms of space to work within, but also I have one of the smaller sales regions in terms of finite numbers like on a spreadsheet for example well that's an interesting thing we've talked about like your region has kind of this iconic brand importance to patagonia i mean it's where a lot of the brand story is being told yet it doesn't have the big numbers as far as you know these giant colorado ski areas or the manhattan store or any of these other like huge buy orders Yet you're probably you're culturally like a, a a big force, I would imagine, in the sales team. Yeah, it's it's really it's an interesting position to be in because um, when you look at like a spreadsheet numbers, you know, like out of twenty reps, I'm like you know probably like fifteenth or sixteenth, and sure. it's not like a, some measuring contest. Like we're all treated very evenly, um, and you know our opinions are all validated very evenly. Um, but you know, we just it's a sales job, right? And people are inherently competitive. And I'm like, oh man, I'm further down the spreadsheet, you know. And I yeah, want yeah, it. yeah. But you know, the reality is like a lot of important things happen in my region. You know, for sure. You look at through the catalog, it's like a lot of the pictures are. Here. You know, I look <laughs> at a, the catalog and like this most recent workbook. It's like I'm looking there is a picture of like Katie French, mm-hmm. Flathead, and two years ago is a picture of Ben Parsons. You know, and it's like, well, okay, like, this is like. You know, my friends are these in the are my, These this are my awesome. people. This is happening um, here. You know, you've probably been in there at some point, I'm assuming, you know, or something. Um, Rare occasions, but and, I made uh, the cut once or twice. And it's just cool to see. And it's also, um, you know, Yvonne and Melinda have a place in Moose. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're in the backyard. Like, you know, occasionally something, a note will come from Melinda and it gets to, you know, the boss above my boss and it comes down to me. And there's, you know, some stuff that's important. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, it's a region also that, you know, just from a standpoint of what Patagonia stands for, the open space and the places we want to play and what people aspire to, yeah. the catalog is very aspirational, right? And so um, to be in that space and operate in that space is really cool. Um, and there definitely is a lot of people looking at me being like, oh, hey, that, that guy actually lives in the mountains. He, like, goes ski touring before work. Yep. Let's talk to him about product. And, mm-hmm. you know, so th- there's a different level of maybe not number or spectrum on a spreadsheet, but a perspective like hey that guy's in the zone where we focus a lot of energy in terms of how we, what our product's for 
what you know there's value there yeah and interesting kind of this is a nice way to transition into some of the activism that's going on in the company and 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 patagonia has always been you know very committed to the environment to the core and all that it's always been an important part of the fabric of the company but it just seems in the last few years particularly in the public land space that the company has really advanced its uh, activism and you've been at the part of that i know that's a big fulfilling part of your work can you speak to that, like what it's what it's like to be part of an organization that is uh, kind of getting out there at the, the the tip of the spear on some important issues? Yeah, I mean that that's one of I would say the one of the things that drew me to the company originally, yeah. and also you know sort of on us like back working at that store or set me on this career path. Because um, the reality is, like, I know like I'm not, I wouldn't be like a great environmentalist. Like, I'm not going to go tie myself to a tree, and like that's not sure me. Um, but it really those things mean a lot to me. Just inherently and i it's like protecting those spaces is really important and for me i look at it as like well if i'm going to sell something and i can have this this is like how i validated not going back to law school okay if i can <laughs> if i can be selling a product you know that a you know helps get people outside and play and that then spawns those people to want to protect those places sure. right so that was important for me and that's obviously a huge part of patagonia i mean one percent of our sales goes to environmental mm-hmm. causes and there's a lot more money than that that goes out too, but that's like the minimum. Um, so, you know, that's been really obviously a fulfilling part of it. And then particularly recently, um, we're having this sort of push and focus on getting people out to vote this coming cycle. Yeah, okay. um, and there's a lot of states that have some very, you know, some things hinging, you know, in certain directions that can make some significant change. Um, and Montana and Nevada actually too, I'm, I'm probably said Nevada wrong, so I always do. Um, Sounds right to me. Well, there's like... Nevada? Yeah, (laughs) that's who you talk to. Um, But uh, they're two focused states for us right now um, in terms of just getting people out to vote because we just, you know, obviously with, you know, our state has some, is in the spotlight a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we've been, we're sort of calling on our retailers to put up some signs and put some windows up and like work with us on this campaign. And that's been really exciting. Um, You know, this thing came, sort of came at me right before we went on our, uh, granite um, a few weeks a few months ago or whatever that was and it's been really a focal point of my time this summer because yeah. um, really summer for us can actually be pretty quiet from a you know full on like engaged in terms of working it's a little bit quieter yep. so it's been a fun sort of task this summer to engage in a different way um, and getting retailers to embrace you know talking about voting uh, this cycle and how important you know our public lands are at stake in this, you know, in the upcoming midterm election. So let me interject, interject there with a question because you're talking about, you know, this, I really admire and respect what you said about how your approach to sales is, is less of a salesperson and more of a facilitator. Like you're, you're sort of helping somebody understand tools that could help them achieve something that's important to them or, or however you want to frame it. But this type of interaction is different, and you've built a relationship with dealers based on product and based on your, your sort of personal approach to your work. But now you're, you know, Patagonia's had its cards on the table, but they yeah. haven't necessarily asked retailers to share those cards. That's that's true. And um, so this is different. And how's that? Um, it is. How's yeah. that work for you <laughs> in your, in your it, role? It is very different because um, we've always been vocal ourselves, like our mm-hmm. catalog. I mean, you read the essays. You know, you know. I remember twenty years ago as a kid, like you know, in high school and college, reading the book. You know, yeah. like, and you're, it calls to you. But to actually, um, we haven't in the past done a 
great job of involving our wholesale, which is like a trailhead. So it's, you know, that's not a store owned by Patagonia. It's they buy the product from Patagonia yeah. and sell it to the consumer. Um, we haven't done a great job in the past of engaging them in these types of things. Um, and this is a big focus this time around saying, hey, like these people, they can reach a broader spectrum. They're, they're in, their, in their community. You know, they're important. Let's connect them back to their community. Mm-hmm. Let's, in, let's spin this all this together and make the community and the store and the company fire on all cylinders to communicate something. Remember that A New Angle is brought to you by First Security Bank and Blackfoot Communications, two great Montana corporations dedicated to cool people doing awesome things. This is John Twiggs with Montana PBS, and you're listening to A New Angle. And it's been, it's, it's exciting as a rep, but it's also, it's a, it can be a little scary because um, yeah. stores are nervous, and I rightfully so, um, and the shop here in town is an exception where they're not nervous at all, but some shops in, within Montana have been nervous because, you know, I mean, the customers aren't, some of them will look at it differently. You know, they say, oh, they're talking about public lands and voting. That means they're liberals. And it's like, well, no, um, we care about public lands and, you know, there's plenty of people yeah, hunting there's fish all on public sorts lands. Of uses for public it, lands. This isn't about that. And so, but the perception is because it's tied to Patagonia, which has been regarded as sort of a liberal company, mm-hmm. that that's what it's about. And it's it's not. You know, it's like voting is this thing that we, you know, our forefathers fought for. It's yep. like a huge, like everyone's got to do it. You know, and um, so that's been really cool to see. Cool to see that we're working with that and. You know that's part of my task, but it's also been frustrating to see how hard it is to like really get people to recognize that just voting is something that it's just about voting. Yeah, it's not about like mm-hmm. who you're voting for. We're just saying go vote, and if you vote with your heart, we know that you know <laughs> the outcome we want to happen is probably going to happen. But that's not the point. Like it's not about that. It's about wanting people to say, hey, I care about public lands. I'm going to vote for the person that lines up with that value. Yep. And and have that be a focal point, have it be more of an issue based topic versus a, a partisan based topic. Mm-hmm. And that's been, but it has resulted in obviously a lot of partisan fear and discussion point, which is like not the intent, but obviously that's where it goes, right? I mean, so participation amongst the the, the retailers is is probably optional, right? But it's very optional. Yeah. And, uh, have you have you lost any accounts? We haven't lost accounts. Um, I'd say, if anything, the more hot button topic that actually resulted in a few accounts sort of being pretty vocal was back when we, a few months ago, when we sued the administration over yeah, the Bears yeah, over Ears. Over Bears and, Ears. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there was some, and not necessarily myself, but um, there were some accounts in various parts of the country that... I mean, the Instagram post was, the president lied to you. Yeah. And then right? he... And then he, I mean, that's, and then that's playing a pretty clear flag. Yeah. And the administration came back with right. a, a pretty, like you know, scathing, like yeah. elitist clothing. It's like, okay. Um, and I, and I, and I can understand how people might feel that way, but, um, yeah, I mean, it was like pretty contentious, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, controversial. Um, and so we, we did have some accounts that went away. Um, and I don't, I, I wouldn't say this to out of arrogance, but you know, when you look, if you're the owner of the company, um, and you're, you know, doing what we're doing for sales, I don't think necessarily it was that the attitude was, well, if that's how you feel, we're not going to, like, not go with our heart because of losing an account. Um, well, you know, we it, make decisions where we, you know, like, a year and a half, two years, or a year ago, we 
closed down a retailer that was being bought by Walmart. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll make decisions with a, a further out, uh, you know, ideal in mind that may not necessarily line up with the bottom line. Yeah, I mean, we kind of planted a little flag there earlier with the public versus private that I'd like to get back to. Um, but before we do that, just one thing I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on are, are this this dynamic within retail and brick-and-mortar retail. I mean, brick-and-mortar retail, especially shops, are under such pressure from yeah. Amazon, from backcountry, from yeah. ordering direct to Patagonia. Yeah. I mean, you, you're sort of a competitor and a and a supplier to to your retail partners. Here's an opportunity with this, uh, with this get out the boat initiative, to engage that brick and mortar retail community at a, at a different level, how uh, that's maybe an area where you reinvigorate that network of, of the yeah. supply chain. No, true. I mean, um, you know, I get told all the time by my dealers. You know, they'll say you're our biggest vendor. Um, you're also our biggest competitor. Yeah. And um, you know, as an example, locally, like the Dillon Outlet is competing against Trailhead and. I work in the wholesale department, so I work with the trailhead. I don't work with the outlet. Yeah. Um, you know, they do great things, and they do build brand awareness um, in Montana, but it is technically, like, you know, opposed in a, in a way. Um, and so we do want to connect that. You know, it's one of the things we discuss at our meetings. We just I just came from one, um, you know, three or four times a year. We talk about what can we do to keep specialty as strong as possible. We don't want to have our wagon only hitched to REI and our yeah. own stores. Yeah. We want to be inclusive of, you know, we Patagonia was built on our specialty retailer base and it's a really important thing. We want to make, have them be strong because that's our communities. That's our, mm-hmm. that's our lifeblood. That's what makes us excited is, you know, going to that local shop and like touching and feeling something. And well, it tells the story at a yeah. local level, gets the products in people's hands and yeah. they're experiencing it. Um, and it's a huge part of Patagonia's, you know, business. It's not, you know, it's not this little trickle. It's a, it's a significant part um, and these things have been really great because connecting back to the community. Um, I've also been involved in a, recently in a couple events with retailers where we're doing these in, environmental grants um, to the tune of like twenty twenty five thousand dollars. Yeah, big money. And so we've had some presentations around those, and I've gone to a few of those, and it's it's just seeing that loop of like community store vendor and recognizing that you know it's a big circle, and we want it all to be to feel connected. Um, and that's one of the things I've noticed, even just like you mentioned, the challenges of, you know, Amazon and um, online. And But what we're seeing is the stores that recognize and embrace their community are succeeding. The ones that don't see that connection, yeah. don't see that value, yeah. they're they're going out of business. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, and, you know, locally here, you have a great example. I mean, the Trailhead is one of our star retailers. Like, they connect the community, they get it. Um, but we have a lot of people that, you know, are, are stuck in a different era um, and it's it's not working for them. And so we're seeing the stores that recognize that value of, hey, here's our community. We're part of this. We want to be here. You ingrain in that community. You make yourself enough of a part of the community. We're indispensable to the community. And you can see the money circling back within that community. And that's yeah. what we truly fundamentally want to see happen. Um, and yeah, the environmental touch point, the political touch point, well, it can be a sticky touch point um, has helped, you know, I think, further that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, a lot of brick and mortar retail sees these big internet uh, behemoth threats coming in and undercutting them on price, and they think that they have to compete on price. And that's sort of a, 
the quickest path to death if you try to compete with Amazon on price. Yeah, you're never going to win Amazon on price. Um, we, Patagonia and a lot of outdoor brands um, do like a minimum advertised price or yeah. map. We call it a map policy. Um, and all of our dealers have to engage in that. So even ourselves, like we have to hold to a certain price at certain times of the year um, or, you know, on a seasonal basis. Um, and, you know, our stores adhere to that, backcountry.com adheres to that. So we do make it so that our stores are playing on that level playing yeah. field. You know, if you were one five or six years ago, the internet was at a, uh, you know, an advantage because search engine optimization was cheaper. Yep. Um, now that that's so expensive, their their advantage, their margin structure, they need full price too. Mm-hmm. Um, Amazon doesn't, but backcountry.com, Evo, right. Moose Jaw, whatever. Um, so, you know, now it is sort of, we try to make it less about price. And we don't sell on Amazon for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so we actually you know, don't work with Amazon. We closed Zappos when Amazon bought them, which was an $8 million. That's why it's such a giant yeah. deal when, you know, it was a few years back when down sweaters turned up in a Costco. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and and Patagonia was get that out of there immediately. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the hard thing is, you know, they, they buy it on gray market or they yeah. have these weird ways of acquiring things overseas, potentially. That was an overseas scenario. Um and we can't, I mean, to try to go, you know, we were, go buy them all. Well, okay. You go buy them and then they just, that, that fuels the demand. They want to get more. <laughs> yeah, um, they got a giant corporate so, order in one slot. Yeah. So th- they, we didn't go back and buy them. We just sort of let, you know, let it bleed until we can, you know, if it was a few, we'd go back and buy them. Sure. But, you know, when it's 80 stores, you can't. Um, but, you know, we, we keep a really tight eye on distribution. Mm-hmm. And actually, as a result of that, we really like focused, uh, making sure because some of us had our own you know the gray market stuff's coming out of our accounts so we had to all go back and really look at our account base me not so much being in montana wyoming just not the volume you'd, yeah. you'd catch it if someone was ordering that much stuff but it you know our rep in new york might not catch it's like it's pretty easy to see 200 jackets just get ordered and somehow they go through a warehouse and disappear and so we keep a tight eye on that yeah but, as you should i yeah. mean that's how you protect the brand yeah exactly yeah yeah so you know, and this kind of transitions into a topic we've alluded to a, a couple of times, and it, it harkens back to, you mentioned that, you know, a few weeks back we went on a run up uh, up Granite Peak, shared a, a bunch of time on the trail, and over, over such time you get to talk about a bunch of different things. And I remember a comment you made to me about not wanting to ever work for a, a publicly traded company again. And, you know, a lot of the stuff you're describing that Patagonia does is are things that really only a private company can do. And it's something I think about a lot. Like, what is, there's this default assumption that going public is the thing that businesses should do. And they're oftentimes with startups, they're in a race to go public. They're in a race to IPO. Yet that's not necessarily the best path. Patagonia is a a great case study in, in doing it a different way. And so maybe talk about your personal experience with, with being on both sides of that, but also, um, you know, some of the luxuries of, of, of or not luxuries, but some of the um, the range of outcomes that a privately privately held company thinks about that a publicly traded company cannot. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I have worked for, um, like I said, Black Diamond was going public when I was there. Um, and now Packard is a private company. And, you know, when I was actually at Black Diamond, initially it was a private company. So yep. you see the changes. Um, you know, a, a public company is essentially beholden to quarterly earnings reports, right? So, you know, inherently there's short-term decisions that are made with a short-term focus. Um, Whereas I think from my viewpoint, a a private company can 
make decisions with a long-term focus if they choose to you know mm -hmm. maybe they want to be well, they can make it with whatever yeah, focus whatever they, they want. want and i think that's the cool thing is you can go with whatever however you want to look at it mm -hmm. uh, you can focus mid you know medium term long term short term have goals that align with all you know that and then and make those decisions based on you know that rationale versus just the bottom line in the next quarterly earnings report which then continues to fund the company um i mean you know Patagonia is just a quirky company. Like, it like, is. I mean, the, the Chouinards are very, um, you know, and obviously I meet them at meetings and chat with them loosely, but, you know, they're they're frugal. I mean, you know, I mean, they don't drive fancy cars. I mean, I sure. heard some story the other day about, and I, I, it could have just been a story, so, but it was like, you know, I think Yvonne getting mad about the price of a new Forester or something. And it was like, you know, you drive, they drive a Prius. And, yeah, I could see know, that. And their, their house in Moose uh, is very modest and, uh, you know, I think they just don't, you know, they've, don't get me wrong, they have plenty of money. Um, yeah. But they give a lot of it away. Mm -hmm. um, and at some point, it's just like, well, how much do you really need? Yeah. And, you know, that, that can obviously get in this weird line of, like, socialist, you know, like, oh, my God, everyone just needs a set amount to live and don't let people make more. But, you know, there's just a reality of how much do you really need to get by. Mm -hmm. um, and the company operates that way. I mean, people are making a good living. Like everyone's happy. Um, it, it does sort of feel utopian when you're down in Ventura. Like you walk around and you're like, yeah, like childcare on site, and everyone's <laughs> everyone's is. fit is like and that. happy looking and smiling and tan. And you're like, man, is this like the way? Is it this can, real? Is this real? Um, and it is, you know. But it it, it wasn't always that way. I mean, mm -hmm. Patagon went through some hard times. Um, you know, there was issue, there they had to, at one point let a lot of people go, um, yep. and it resulted in sort of a you know, looking at the company a different way and well, and that, at that values. point, like they had been on an explosive growth model for a yeah. number of years and realized that hey, this isn't sustainable for the way for we what we want of down. our company. Yeah. You know, slow this thing down, reassess, and you know they've been on a great growth path. Yeah, um, um, the last several years, but it's been with a pretty pretty tight focus. Yeah, very tight focus. Um, you know, and a really strong viewpoint of our people and like recognize that's the biggest asset we have. Um, even our sales team now. So I just got back from some training and we're doing these like training seminars on how to manage our time better and how yeah. to be uh, more thoughtful and, you know, our time off or so time on. Um, for example, today's uh, we do this 980 Friday. Right, right. Work week. That kind of just went into effect recently. Yeah. And like I'm I'm technically off today. So yeah, explain awesome. what that is, that 980. So we basically work, you know, the expectation is you work nine, nine hour days, I guess, and then maybe one eight hour day in that. Um, and add up to 80 hours over two weeks versus, sure. and then take every other Friday off. Um, and that was something the company was doing corporately, you know, in Ventura. And then they rolled out to our wholesale, our sales team just in the, uh, August. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, you know, so stuff like that where, you know, if you're a public or, you know, a public company, you're just not going to probably encourage that. You're not going to think that way, maybe. You, maybe you would. Um, and there's more of that probably yeah. going on now than there yeah. was t five years ago. Um I think partly because Patagonia is driving a lot of that interest. People are seeing it. It's a, it's a well-known company now. People see, oh, those guys are doing some cool things, and it's not about the bottom line for them. Like, obviously, they, you know, you do have to be responsible financially and sell things and, and you know, keep uh, a sharp pencil, but you don't necessarily have – it's not all about that. Um, and it's been really exciting for, you know, now that, you know, the reps are being involved in this training, these tools to feel like we can learn from that, and it's um, – Something that just you wouldn't probably see at a, a you know, a public company just because the the focus is work, 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 you know, get to this goal for the next quarter and then keep going and then keep going. Um, and Patagonia has this long-term view where 
we want people to be, I mean, there are people at the company that have been there for 30, yeah. 20, 30 years. Like people don't leave. I mean, I joke with friends that, you know, like, how's, how's your job? I'm like, oh, it's awesome. Oh, you ever think of anything different? I'm like, no, I, I'd say cold, dead hands. <laughs> You're I mean, locked in. That's where you're gonna have to pry my job out. You know, it's like, um, it's just a great place to work because of that mentality. Right, so. right. So along those, uh, along those lines, Alan, I got to ask, you know, because I get this question from students. I mean, students know my sort of affiliation with Patagonia as an athlete, but also kind of in the product testing space and yeah. whatnot. And probably because I use the company as an example in every class. Yeah. <laughs> just based out of remembering it. Um, I get asked all the time, like, how do I get a job there? And, yeah. you know, what would be your recommendation? It's not so much getting a job at Patagonia, although that comes up a lot, but students want to break in. We have a lot of students here that want to get into the outdoor industry. Yeah. And so talk about the various paths in and, and the skill sets and things that people can do to be successful and break their way in. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's looking at, you know, the path you want to take, whether it's marketing or sales or product design. And working your way up through the, you know, the chain. Um, you know, you don't get hired at Patagonia out of college. I mean, that does happen mm-hmm. at a retail level, but you're not going to be a sales rep at, you know, 25 for Patagonia. It's, you know, at the time yeah, when I started, steps. I was one of the youngest ones there. Um, so, you know, the brand looks for people that, you know, it's, it's a well-revered brand um, in a way that people aspire to it. Um, and so people are going to, it's a competitive landscape. In the outdoor industry, I'd say it's probably the most competitive brand to get into mm-hmm. or to work for because again it's you know idealistic once you're there it's like oh my god i've made it um but you know the steps i'd say like it's it's working for the competition it's learning you know at a retail store i mean like i remember when i you know was uh, taught jackie's class or stepped into jackie's class a few times kids like oh what do i do i'm like well you're in college you know you need a part-time job probably go work at the trailhead yeah like yeah go learn how things flow on the floor you know and Learn the product, don't, meet the players. But don't be the, the kid that sits there behind the counter twiddling their thumbs because that's not that's gonna last at Trailhead. Like you gotta actually like engage with the customers and be part of the community, like I mentioned, and and get out there and people come in, talk to them and learn. I think it's just learning to talk and be active and recognizing, you know, those skills. Um, and that's some you know, and then from there it's going on to be a sales rep potentially for other brands. And then, mm-hmm. you know, with the aspiration that maybe you could come back to that or and the same thing at a marketing level, right? We, we pull people. I mean, we have people from, from Apple, you know, I mean, we, from Nike, from Burton, from like really yeah, well-respected companies. Um, so you got to go work for one of those other companies probably first. Um, you know, our fabric uh, crew, a lot of them come from this really, and I'm spacing on the name of the school, but a, a school out east. That's oh, it's like North a, Carolina State. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you know this better. Great textile <laughs> science company. Well, yeah. we're working with them on the, the, the project we're doing with Brent yeah. and, you know. Yeah, so that that'll be revealed on the podcast at a future date, but oh, it's good. sort of under non-disclosure agreement right now. Oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's like you know, so we do pull from some schools, but it's uh, it's a lot. Of, it, you got to work in the field and go, you know, go work for go work for the competition a little while. And, yeah, you know. Well, that's an interesting thing for students because sometimes, you know, particularly a student who's really committed to something like sustainability, environmental sustainability, like they want to get out there and get involved right away, and to to hear like. Hey, to get into Patagonia, you got to work for a big corporate brand first, and that's not necessarily the path to go, yeah. but that's one way in. Yep. Sometimes that's stifling to yeah. students. Although another path is to just go work in a passion area and be really, really awesome. Yep. 
and drive some cause, and maybe that's a way to get on the radio yeah. screen. No, that's true. Like we have some, obviously we support so many environmental groups yeah. and nonprofits. We definitely have employees that have come from from that arena. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's a huge focus for the company. We don't necessarily look at it and say like, oh, you got to be a salesperson to then go be a salesperson. Yeah. Um, it helps, um, obviously, but you know, we definitely, there are people who have varying backgrounds um, in roles that maybe don't line up with that background currently at Patagonia. So, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of people that got that to that path via different avenues. So it's really just being open-minded to, you know, I think and it truly is just following your passion. Um, I mean, I didn't necessarily think I would end up, while it was ironic that I started at Patagonia and now work there again, that that wasn't the pl- you know plan. It just sort of like these stepping stones of being passionate about this led in right, that direction. Right, right. Piece so, it all together. Yeah. But... Well, Alan, you've been hugely generous with your time, particularly uh, as you sort of transition into vacation mode before your crazy wild season. So thanks for coming on the pod, sharing your story, and uh, I look forward to not only our next conversation, but our next uh, trip into the hills together. Yeah. All right, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Alan. Again, the Midterms Matter campaign, pay, pay attention to it. Uh, both on social feeds, on the Patagonia.com website, and at your local retailer. Check out window displays, merchandising, all of that. It's just really interesting to see what Patagonia is doing. And um, along those lines, I strongly encourage you to get out there and vote, register. If you don't know where to go, go to vote.org. Pretty simple, easy to remember. And get yourself registered. And then ballotready.org is a great place to go research your candidates, research the, the posi- their positions on various initiatives, etc. A lot of places have ballot initiatives that you should uh, investigate and understand and uh, form an opinion on. So get out there and do it. Okay, next week we have another episode that deals with uh, some issues important for the upcoming midterms elections, and that is a re-air, a rebroadcast of our conversation about the six mil levy and funding for higher education here in the state of Montana. Uh, We spoke with Senator John Tester, Congressman Greg Gianforte, and economist Bryce Ward. We'll bring you a re-air of that conversation from a few months ago, but going to add a special treat to that, and that is a conversation I had with two of our incredible student leaders here at the University of Montana, Alex Butler and Mariah Welch. They are the president and vice president of our Associated Students of University of Montana, basically the student senate, and they're doing some amazing things. And the two of them are just a testament to the value of higher education and what it can do for young people. So anyway, stay tuned for next week. Remember that a new angle was brought to you by CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors. By now, you've been listening long enough to know that these guys are big and that they sell pretty much everything electrical you would ever need. But you might not know that they hire a ton of University of Montana students. If you want to learn more about careers at CED, visit cedcareers.com. It's a great website name. Before we go, I want to thank some important peeps. Comzar, Elizabeth Willie, interns, Aspen Runkle, Mason Dow, and Max Gibson. Huge thanks to VTO for the tunes, and finally props to Jeff Meese, our master of all things sound. Before we go... If you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. Help us spread the word and be sure to use the hashtag anewangle when you do. Thanks a lot. See you next time.